1: All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
2: And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, today we are going to be, ta- we are going to be talking about Inside the American Brothel uh, with my guest, Mark, An- Mark McAndrews, who's a photographer and author of the new book, Nevada rose inside the American brothel. And I'll tell you more about that in a few minutes. Um but uh today the the Casey Anthony verdict just came out and I feel that I would be remiss uh to not make some comments on that first, you know. <laughs> if if I thought that the uh, inside the American brothel was going to be perhaps a little salacious, the Casey Anthony trial was quite salacious in itself. Um, some people are outraged at the verdict. In case uh, some of you listeners haven't heard, the verdict apparently is that uh, she was not she was found not guilty of murder and of uh, manslaughter, and um, and guilty of of lying to the police. And I I am thrilled with the verdict. Some of you may well be. Um, I'm thinking, what? And I'll explain why. Um, I'm not saying, first of all, that that Casey didn't have anything to do with her daughter's death, or doesn't know what happened to her daughter, or it, 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 that it wasn't strange that for 30 days she wasn't more upset that her daughter was at least missing. But, but um, the prosecution did not provide enough evidence beyond a reasonable doubt. Uh, there was there were so many holes in their case, which is pretty amazing. And let me just um, stop, because in case any of you who are listening today um, don't know, one of my hats is that I'm a psychiatric expert witness, a forensic psychiatrist, so I testify in trials like this. And as it was going along, I was thinking to myself all along, they are not proving this beyond a reasonable doubt. And apparently the jury agreed. There was that. And there was also the fact that I, um, to a to a reasonable degree of medical certainty, am sure that Casey was uh, sexually abused by her father. And what makes me say that is a number of things. One, the way she looked when her defense attorney first brought that out in his opening arguments, she had this deer caught in headlights. Struck by, you know, slapped in the face kind of look, tear, tear, tears rising, um, and is the kind of look that I have seen over and over again from people who have been sexually abused and where it comes out into the open, even when it's just out in the open in a psychiatrist's office, no less on, on national television. So, um, there was that, and then there was her father on the stand when he was asked, Did you sexually abuse or molest, uh, Casey? And he, if you remember, for all of those of you who watched, or you can find it on the Internet after this show, <laughs> um, uh, he paused. There was a very long pause, and he tightened his lips, which means that he was trying to uh, unconsciously or maybe consciously stop himself from, from talking, from saying something. And then he looked down uh, before he answered and said no. Now, that is so typical of someone who is lying. So this isn't to say that, yes, he, um, even though he abused her, that she may not have had something to do with the death of her daughter. But it was just, it, it was so, it blew my mind that the media was jumping on this and refused to consider the fact that she may well have been sexually molested and that may well have, as I have seen it done countless times, caused children, little girls, who had been molested when they were young, and Casey was approximately eight years old, that's what they said, uh, when it started, when that happens to a little girl, especially when it's her father, she does in- incorporate into her system, into her psyche, the idea that it is okay to lie if if you are protecting yourself, protecting a family member, afraid of something awful happening, if the secret comes out, like her parents uh, divorcing or her mother being furious or her father being furious and doing something to her, what, whatever, you know, to a, to a little eight-year-old girl, it seems like the end of the world if you tell when your father tells you not to tell. So all of that did make total sense. But nobody wanted to believe that because they already had the story written that Casey was the murderer and she should be convicted of murder, first-degree murder, and end of story. And so when the defense attorney brought that out the first day, that it could be, um, you know, that she was molested, that that's why she lied, that that it was a pool incident. I don't know if it was a pool incident. Maybe Casey left uh, Kaylee in the car in a hot day and she died accidentally that way maybe she did murder her I don't know but the point is that in any case she was molested another example another reason why how I knew that she was molested or no is because when little girls are molested they either uh, go in one or two ways they either become promiscuous or they become frigid and Casey became promiscuous And you know needed all of that male attention and so on, and used her body to get it, and that is very typical of what little girls, you know, some of the little girls who get molested do. And so, um, so it all, all the pieces fit together. And then of course the father's suicide note, where he said that um, he apologized, you know, or he said I'm sorry I wasn't. Uh, words to this effect, I'm not quoting exactly, but I'm sorry I wasn't a, or I know I wasn't uh, a good father and a good husband. Well, he wasn't a good husband because he had the affair with that woman, and he wasn't a good father, perhaps, because he molested his daughter. So, um, I am, there, I know there's a lot of outrage going on out there, which is why I'm taking the time today to address this, I think a lot of the outrage was spurred by the media who didn't want to change their story. They knew how they were going to cover this story. They already convicted her in their mind, and they didn't want to hear about these little extraneous things like perhaps she was molested and perhaps this is why she lies, and not that that excuses her lying, and yes, she does deserve to be um, found guilty of lying to the police. There's no question about that. But... um, but but I think that the media whipped the public up into a frenzy, uh, telling, pr- pr- providing this story, this theme, this um, beginning and end all along for all these actually all this this time since Kaylee died, um, and so everyone was whipped into a frenzy to believe that Casey was going to finally get her just desserts and be found guilty, and so now everyone's all angry that um, the that uh, you know the justice system doesn't work believe me as an expert witness i have seen times when the justice system doesn't work when the jury doesn't get something that i know to be true and it is incredibly frustrating and this jury and uh, it's another reason why the, the public is so outraged is because this jury came to this decision in a relatively short amount of time like you know there was obviously enough agreement um, to decide on this you know, relatively early, and that's kind of annoying to people because they think, well, maybe they wanted, I'm sure people are saying, maybe they wanted to uh, to uh get home. <laughs> they just, you know, quickly came to this verdict. That's not how it works. If someone, especially people who are sequestered and all that, they went through hell, and they know that this is, the whole world is watching this verdict. They are not going to um, vote anything other than what they really believe because they want to go home a day or two earlier after all this time. So, so, I just had to get that out and and I'm just so glad that all the people who were so sure that um oh that the that the defense attorney lost his case in opening arguments because he said these outrageous things, and the jury isn't going to believe him, and all of this i'm just so glad that the jury uh at least at some level, did recognize the truth. Again, not that she may not have had something to do with the death of her daughter. I mean, most likely she did. Um, But they they saw that it wasn't beyond a reasonable doubt, and they saw that the father was lying. That father kept lying time and time again. Every time he was on the stand, there were more lies. The way he the way he emotionally talked to the attorney, the defense attorneys and so on. The, the, I mean, you know, I've been seeing this for years. I've been an expert witness for over 18 years, and this stuff is just classic. So <laughs> I am glad that it turned out the way that it did. And um, we're pretty much at the time for our first break, which would be good to take right now because um, then we can get into – the next story, which probably, there are probably, um, well, there are some connections in the sense that we're going to be talking about what goes on inside the American brothel, and a lot of those women who become um, prostitutes uh, have been molested by their fathers. So there, I found a segue. So you've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. When we come back, we're going to be talking with Mark McAndrews. He has written a book, a new book, called Nevada Rose Inside the American Brothel. He's a photographer, and he spent five years researching this, and we're going to find out why <laughs> and what he found. Because this is Paul Dr. Carroll's Couch, um, I put the guests on the couch first. And so, of course, you uh, make great... Uh, you know, you're a psychiatrist's dream for why someone would want, where you got this idea to spend five years doing research inside the American brothel.
3: Uh, well, first of all, thank you for having me on the show. I'm, I'm really excited to be here. Um, I first got the idea from when I, I used to travel around the country and do various editorial jobs, and at one point in time, I was staying in a motel in Nevada where I met some people that were there and, and over the weekend we, were, we got to know each other and we just sort of went to the different restaurants and bars and hung out and we were talking. And At one point in time, one of the women asked me if I'd ever been to a brothel before. And now as a photographer, you're always looking for new, for new material and for new ideas and for new projects to work on. So I hadn't heard of anybody really doing anything like this So I went back to my agency in New York and pitched the idea. We had a bunch of meetings with different magazines, and everybody was really excited and receptive to it.
2: You know, wait sorry. Wait, i I'm sorry, sorry, Mark, to interrupt you, but now I do hear some music, so I guess we do need to take a break at this point. I'm talking with Mark McAndrews. He's the author of Nevada Rose Inside the American Brothel. We'll take a break, and we'll be right back.
1: And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times, www.drcarol.com.
5: Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network.
4: Explore the power and beauty in yourself and in others. Tune in to The Stacey Stern Show, enriching you. Every week, Stacey Stern will connect you with men and women who are living and working from a place of passion. Stacey's guests include successful authors, filmmakers, actors, experts, and leaders. You'll hear what inspires each of them, and you'll be turned on to great films, books, and new media. Tune in to The Stacey Stern Show, enriching you, Tuesdays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel.
2: Dr. Carol Lieberman, we're talking about what goes on inside the American brothel. Now, come on, certainly, uh, besides the obvious, you've wondered what really goes on. Today's guest, Mark McAndrews, is going to tell us. He's the author of a new book called Nevada Rose, Inside the American Brothel. And before the break, he was telling us that um, I, I was asking him how he got involved or started on this five years of research, and he just started to tell us about how he happened to be in Nevada met some people, and uh, a woman asked you, Mark, um, whether you've ever been to a brothel, and you said?
3: I said, no, I hadn't, and so I went back to New York, like I said, and, and pitched the idea to different editors and to my agency, and decided to go for it, and had never been to one before, I never really, like, strip clubs, uh, I never even thought about brothels being in America before, and so it was a... Pretty new, a pretty new idea for me. So I had all these preconceived ideas about what it was going to be like. I imagined dirty and dingy and gross and drug addicts and exploitation and all these things that you think about when you think a desert brothel, when that, when that phrase comes up. So I went back to New York, like I said, pitched it, then flew out to Nevada a little bit later to do a little bit of research and went to my first brothel and was pretty, very nervous going in to the first one. And obviously going in, not having the confidence, seeming uh, not at ease, they didn't give me access. So it took a couple of tries.
2: They didn't give you access?
3: And then I what, went out. What do you mean? They said you
2: can't come in?
3: Well, they said I can come in, but they said I couldn't photograph.
2: Oh, yes, okay.
3: Yeah, I because I was very nervous. I describe in the book, because uh, I did... A, a bit of writing about my my experience of getting in there, and I described pretty honestly uh, the nerves that I had, blushing, stuttering, turning red, I, you know, looking at my feet, trying to... I didn't have my bearings, and I was com- completely thrown off guard just when I walk in, because the very first one I walked into, it was a lineup house, so there's all these women, and there's a spotlight right on me, and I wasn't expecting that at all. I was expecting more of a parlor atmosphere, a bartender maybe, so... Bam! Right away, I was I was caught off guard.
2: Mm. Why do they have the spotlight on the man?
3: Well, that's I'm, you know, there's thirty. I went to thirty three different houses, and there's thirty three different houses in the book. It's just a, I guess, a design decision. You know, I haven't really seen any other ones that that had that. The other ones, even in the lineup houses, it's pretty standard decor. This was this was one of the higher end ones where they had all bits of different theme rooms and things like that going on.
2: Uh-huh. Well, now, of course I have to ask you, I mean, well, first of all, yes, I would imagine that any brothel or, or maybe not any, but that a lot of brothels wouldn't welcome a photographer or and a writer to come in. Um, I mean, didn't you have to first sample the merchandise? <laughs>
3: That's funny. That's always the third question that people ask. Um,
2: <laughs>
3: I, I, I've never said yes or no to that question for a number of different reasons. One, <laughs> that if I said yes, then everybody's going to view the work as though it's coming from somebody that was just partaking in this and was just looking for a free party, if you will. If I yeah. said no, then everybody's going to look at the work as though it's coming from somebody that had that was too good to partake in this world that he was, he was Yes. So I've never said yes or no. Uh, And as far as getting access, I had to go to a number of different houses until finally I ended up out in Mona's Ranch in Elko, where I met Carly, the big sister, and she gave me permission to not only photograph there, I lived at that house for five days, the very first one Mm. I got into. Mm. And then I was shooting everything 4 by 5 so in terms of getting access to the other houses, I would go and take these polaroids cuz every every woman that I photographed had to sign a really strict model release and in exchange she would get a signed polaroid. Uh-huh. So I would take these other polaroids, the extra the outtake polaroids and I would take them to the other houses. They could see what I was doing. It's mm. formal portraiture. There's no nudity. There's nothing like that.
2: No nudity. So what they were um Well, I think I saw some. They were in these, uh, like, bustiers. Yeah, a lot of them.
3: But there's no... Everybody... I approach the work as though everybody knows what goes on in the brothels. So there's no reason to display that exactly. I approach the work much more in the vein of August Sander and his work, uh, Man of the 20th Century, where he basically documented all segments of German society in the 20th century, or in the vein of E.J. Bullock, who photographed in the Storyville brothels in New Orleans. Uh, they were much more formal portraiture, and, and I approached the women and photographed the women as though I would any other, any other editorial job or any formal portrait for anybody. The fact that they well, were, were working prostitutes didn't enter into the, the equation in terms of how I approached them.
2: Okay, so um, especially, you know, spending so much time there, what um, kinds of stories, I mean, these women, I would imagine after they felt a little comfortable with you, would did you ask them about their backgrounds? What kind of stories did they tell you?
3: I think that's something that, that I think is very unique about the experience that I had. I always describe it in terms of, or I try to describe it in terms of, when you meet somebody or when you're assigned a job or when you go and do a personal project to, to do a body of work, it's one thing to meet the person and move on, but it's an entirely different scenario when you pass them milk and cereal over breakfast in the morning. You get to know someone a lot more. You do get to hear their backstories. You do get to hear their personal stories. Um, and one thing that I was very, that I was almost shocked by was the the banality of, of the brothels and how almost boring it can be, the women spend a lot of time sitting at the bar in the lounge, doing what anybody else who 's not busy at work does, you know talking mm-hmm. about their their home life or their family life, complains about their boyfriends or their husbands you, you know very very typical things it wasn 't uh, it, it wasn 't some sort of drug-fueled sex party that went on. It was, it was a, pretty, a pretty almost boring scenario when there wasn't a mm-hmm. customer in the
2: house. So what were some of the stories that they told you about their home life or how, the they, home life? how they wound up there?
3: It was, it's very varied. There are, there are a lot of women that came from what they call the track, which is the street. So a lot of the women that used to work on the street do have a history of what you would almost expect of drug abuse, of abuses children, um, maybe some slight mental problems. But those, uh, I've never seen any drugs in the brothels, and I've never seen anybody very mentally unstable that needed help, obviously. Um, some of the other stories, it's, it fascinated me how some of the women decided to do this. And some yes. of the very... Uh, sober-minded decisions. They'd realized something uh, about their own sexuality where they wanted to, they saw maybe the TV show or they saw something written about it and a little interest got piqued and they researched and ended up going to a brothel.
2: And you mentioned um, mentioned, uh, that some of them had husbands and children you know how yeah. did, what did they talk about how were they how were their husbands uh about all this i met one or two of the
3: husbands what's kind of fascinated by fascinated me in a the psychology behind it is what happens when you take because we're all socialized to be a certain way sexually you're all we're all socialized to aspire towards uh, marriage and this type of stable relationship and it's, we're also taught to that a stable relationship takes place within certain bounds and having your wife be a prostitute is outside that bounds however right. what, what fascinated me was how the men, the husbands that I did meet once they got past that barrier they, it didn't seem to affect their, the relationship with their wives that much Granted, I wasn't living with them. I didn't see their home lives. But just talking to them, both of the, the women and the husbands, that's, that's what I had found.
2: Well, uh, weren't the husbands concerned about disease?
3: Since there's, there's, weekly, there's weekly cervical exams in the brothels and monthly HIV exams. And since mm. 1986, there's never been one reported case of HIV which is the safest sex industry in the world. It's safer than porn, which I believe, I'd have to double-check this, but I believe there's 21 or 25 outbreaks of HIV in the porn industry since 2001. So it's much safer than that. In terms of skin, to skin contraction of disease, I think it's the same as if you met somebody in a bar and went home with them or you met someone in line at the grocery market and went home with them. I think it's a similar, a similar sort of um, – it's a similar uh, a chance that you're taking, a similar risk.
2: Well, did you get the feeling, though, that the husbands were willing to do this because the wife was bringing home good money?
3: I've, I feel money obviously has something to do with it. I don't uh, – not all the husbands had jobs, so sometimes it was the women wait, that were uh, – Mark, let
2: them. me just stop you because that's the sign that we need to take a break. Um, I'm talking with Mark McAndrews. His new book is called Nevada Rose Inside the American Brothel. We're uh, putting brothels on the couch and (laughs) Mark. And you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
1: And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times, www.drcarol.com.
7: What it comes down to, ladies, is that defining line between been there, done that, and ain't going back, baby. Yeah, I've heard them call you yuppies and baby boomers, maybe even dolls, babes, darlings, sugar, and sweetheart. But I say that women are truly amazing. Join Dr. Marlene for Amazing Women, Brains, Beauty, and Style, every Wednesday afternoon at 2 Pacific,
5: right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Ah, life is good. We don't need to worry about anything. We've got a rock-solid government to make sure everything all is well. Our dollar and financial future are strong and everything is going to be okay. Think again. We're in a financial crisis and our government and financial systems are failing. You need to prepare and protect yourself and your family. Tune in to the McHale Report with Karen McHale. Our program will tell you exactly what needs to be done right now. Listen every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel and get
4: Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio,
6: voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Welcome
2: back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with Mark McAndrews the author of the new book Nevada Rose Inside the American Brothel he did 5 years of research 33 brothels he's pulling back the covers and uh, telling us what what his research revealed now when you say you did 5 years i mean how much of <laughs> how many days <laughs> you weren't in, in brothels <laughs> every day of those 5 years were you
3: No, no. I had to work and pay rent, so uh, I would usually be out in Nevada anywhere from two to five. Last year, I think I was there almost six months. Uh huh. So anywhere from two to six months, we'll say.
2: So now, are you married? No, I'm not. Um, Do you have a (laughs) Do you have a girlfriend? I mean, did you when you were doing this research? Did you have a steady girlfriend?
3: Yes. Yes.
2: And how did she feel about this?
3: It, it complicates things. It's very complicated. But again, I think the work is very, uh, it's not salacious. It's not, uh, it's fairly even keeled. So it's, and I think there's also a, a trust that goes on. And so that, uh, that was something that was fairly easily overcome.
2: Hmm. Okay, that was uh <laughs> that was, you had an open minded girlfriend is she still your friend?
3: uh no, not at the moment no
2: <laughs> <laughs> how do I know the answer to that question <laughs> it's tough for um because you know it's tough to to believe i guess that um your boyfriend isn't being tempted um or in any case you would kind of wonder why he wants to spend so much time studying this. Um, well, let's talk about, let's switch gears for a minute. We'll go back to the women, but let's let's talk about some of the men. Well, let's talk about the, the you, you started to tell us a little bit about the um, different kinds of brothels. What were some of the, you know, what were some of the differences? You were saying some of them have different themed rooms. Could you tell us more about that?
3: Well, it's it's all fully legal. So some of the houses, the one that was probably most shocking to me was the Budweiser room. Budweiser, uh, they had all sorts of Budweiser paraphernalia. I don't know if Budweiser sponsored the room, but there was the big Budweiser bottle. There is a the Budweiser hot tub. There is everything in the room was Budweiser. Hmm. Um, I don't know why someone would necessarily want to party in that particular room, but you know they have very they're varied theme rooms: the dungeon, the fantasy suite, the heart-shaped bed, the hot tub room. All these different, all these different rooms.
2: And were did um, typically was it the same woman who was in the same room? Like was it the same woman who always went in uh, the Budweiser room, for example?
3: Well, I've never seen anybody actually go into that room, but the the dungeons. Things like that, there's women there that, that enjoy those types of activities more than yeah. other women. So those will be the ones that are more likely to try to get their customers to go in there. Or if a man wants to go in there and one woman isn't necessarily comfortable going into the dungeon, she will sometimes say, why don't you go with so-and-so? Mm-hmm. Kimmy or, you know, Kimmy will go in and she's much better in the dungeon than I am
2: mm mm-hmm. was there um, compete other than that like going into a room where the woman wasn 't comfortable was there competition for the men like like you were talking about the lineups did the, did the women try to um, you know try to entice the men who would come in to go with them
3: well the there's rules in terms of what you 're describing is more along the lines of what 's called a dirty hustle, so there's rules in terms of how and it's it's worked out amongst the women, there's rules in terms of how to interact with the man to make sure that there's no dirty hustling, there's no cheating in the competition. For instance, if there's a lineup, they are all they all decide on how they stand in lineup. They don't, they have rules where they don't fix their bras, they don't shake in a certain way. You, things that draw more attention to themselves than to the other women. If it's a parlor house and there's no lineup, oftentimes the general rules will be the man comes in, the women can be in the parlor, but everybody has to wait until he gets his first drink. And then he has a chance to go up and approach a woman on his own, and if not, then they can individually go up and approach him.
2: Hmm. And um, were there times when... Well, I mean, I guess it was hard... Well, well, were there times... I to say I guess it was hard for you because you didn't live there all... But, I mean, you didn't know the... Well, I guess you got to know the the Vegas or Nevada culture, but were there times when uh, I would imagine when people who were fairly well known would come into these houses and how did that affect things?
3: I never in terms of celebrities things like that. I never yeah. saw any celebrities. People that were very successful had had money obviously, they would definitely go to to some of the nicer houses. So there, there were very successful very successful businessmen very wealthy men, uh, they would go to the nicer houses, yes. But and no one you, that I
2: recognized. Did you have a chance to uh, to talk to some of these men and ask them about their experience?
3: Yeah, it's, I, I joke overall that half of my Facebook friends are prostitutes or customers from the brothel. <laughs> um <laughs> a lot of the men a lot of the men have very reasons for going there um they're single right. perhaps perhaps not but they're single they might be in an open marriage or they honestly they could be cheating on their wives but they would probably be cheating on their wives if there's a bar in town also. so yeah um are you there yes oh, okay sorry it sounded like it got cut off um so they they would be cheating on their wives either way so a lot of the men come from very, varied backgrounds. When you go to the, the more country houses, the ones that are further out into the desert, in the more depressed parts of Nevada, there you'll get a lot of the locals. You'll get transients. You'll get mining crews that come through, truckers. And these same groups of people go to the other ones. But at the more country houses, that is what you find mostly. The wealthier men would probably go to the ones closer to Carson City and Reno and in Perump. And Crystal.
2: And um, so, were the, so did the men feel? I mean, did you did they feel comfortable opening up to you about why they were there?
3: Yeah, i I photographed um, a number of the men. Huh. And like I said, they they come from a whole range of background. They they are there for a number of different reasons. They, they're single and they can't find a girlfriend. They're single and their girlfriend broke up with them or they're lonely or they just create a relationship with one of the women there. And from there, it's, it's again, many varied reasons as to why they end up there. But relationships do get formed between the men and the women and it's, it's not strictly for the men aren't mad at the women. It's a lot less, like I said before, I've, I've always, I never liked strip clubs, and it's, I find it's a lot less aggressive than strip clubs. Very, The men are very respectful. Uh, again, they, be, they create relationships, become friends with the women. It's not like a strip club where the men get all worked up, get frustrated, and start throwing dollar bills at somebody.
2: <laughs> did, what about, uh, was there, were there any pretty woman relationships? In other words, did you see any uh, women who would wind up Leaving the brothel and, and going off with one of her customers? Uh, I saw that happen
3: once, and she was promptly fired. That's very much taboo. Uh, there's, there's rules in terms of customer and what, the relationship between the women and customers. Outside of the house, it doesn't happen. If the woman is a, is a working prostitute, it's generally understood that it doesn't happen outside of the
2: house. But, no, I didn't mean that she would be a prostitute outside the house. Like, let's say a man tells her that he's madly in love with her. He wants her to quit this business and marry him.
3: Oh, yes, yeah, completely, yes. That that happens fairly often. Uh, there's one of the owners of the houses that ended up marrying a very wealthy man, and now together they own a couple of different houses.
2: Mm. <laughs> that was a a oh, good partnership. <laughs> yeah,
3: I mean, before he was a, he was he was wealthy from real estate. He had a whole other thing going on, and they knew each other through the brothels. They fell in love, and he has he still has his real estate going on, and they are together for many many years. I believe twenty years at this point.
2: Hmm. Um. Did you did you ever get to hear like what? Uh, the Madams would tell the women, I mean, like you know or or even they that they would tell each other the the women who have been there longer, um like things like you know how to pre- things that you don 't do with customers, like things that would so that you don 't become vulnerable emotionally to customers i mean there 's kind of that that um Attention. On the one hand, I, you could see where the women would love to be rescued by a wealthy man, but on the other hand, also, you're not supposed to fall in love with your customers.
3: I think I've never heard any direct discussion about that. Uh, one thing I will have to say is that when, once I got access to each of the houses, there was never any hiding anything. I had free reign to... I could go in the kitchen. I could go talk to any woman that I wanted. There was never any seclusion of, of women or, or from myself or anything. So I was able to fairly freely talk to the women. But I never heard them discuss their own personal ways of not getting involved. Uh-huh. Um, I think, to start with, there's the initial... You're meeting them at a brothel, and it's very unlikely to happen. So I think there's already that emotional guard that goes up. I don't mm-hmm. think the women are necessarily there looking to be rescued. I don't think they're there to find Mister Right. I believe that the women are there for again various different reasons. Uh, the women that used to work on the street, where there was exploitation, there is a high instance of drug abuse. I think this becomes a safe place for the women to work.
2: Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we need to take another break. We'll be back. My guest is Mark McAndrews. His book is Nevada Rose Inside the American Brothel. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, and we'll be right back.
4: Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk.
1: Check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Step into the
7: doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace
5: Listen to the Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.
4: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one
6: talk station, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carroll's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-472. 5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman.
2: Hey, welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch, I'm your psychiatrist host Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with Mark McAndrews about his new book. He's a photographer and author. The book is called Nevada Rose Inside the American Brothel. During the break I was asking him about um the the rumored um opening of a male brothel. And um, why don't you tell us about that, because I thought that was a fabulous idea. I, I, thought, I thought that there would be a lot of uh, takers, a lot of women who would go. But tell us about it.
3: I think that, well, what happened was the, a man tried to acquire a license. The women all have to be licensed working prostitutes. So they all have to go through medical exams. They have to get cleared for health checks and they have to go to the sheriff's department where the sheriff issues a work card for the working prostitutes and the sheriff goes and checks all their papers every week and make sure that it's the right woman getting going to the doctor and all all the things like that and so what happened was the aclu threatened to sue the state of nevada for not issuing working cards to men for sexual discrimination so the i believe i forget which county it was i believe it was nye county but i could be wrong uh, wanted to, or they uh, they gave a working card to one male prostitute. And so what happened? He was up at this brothel, and it was him and two other women, but the customer base wasn't there. The women weren't uh, flocking to see him, I guess.
2: Well, and you were saying, and I kind of remember vaguely um, this, hearing something about it, that, that he was on different talk shows and so on. But, I mean, I wonder if there was enough publicity, like if enough women knew that well, that this was actually happening, you know, that it had actually finally uh, occurred. It was, uh, it was occurred a pretty landmark
3: thing. I, I also, one other, I believe Joe Conforti also tried back in the late 70s to open up a stud farm is what they were referring to.
2: Yes, that.
3: And that also didn't take off because there's just no real money. I think if a woman, especially in these more rural towns, wants to have a one-night stand or a fling, which would be something like what would probably happen in the brothel, I think it would be much easier for her to meet somebody, perhaps go to a bar, things like that. Yes. Yes.
2: No, I wasn't thinking so much about local women. You know, I was picturing bus trips (laughs) of women coming from uh, towns where, um, you know, where it was Sex I mean I guess where it was harder to to get a man to ask them out for example um you know I I wrote a book uh, recently called that just came out recently called Bad Girls Why Men Love Them and How Good Girls Can Learn Their Secrets and um why I wrote that and I had written Bad Boys years ago why I wrote that was to help men and women find the love they deserve and because it's getting to be harder for men and women to find partners um, to find love. And yes, granted, you don't find love necessarily. You're not. You don't go to a brothel looking for love. Normally, you would go there looking for sex. And yes, women um, want a relationship more than they just want sex. Whereas, you know, it's easier for men to just. Uh, go into a brothel and have sex and be satisfied with that and be, be relieved in many cases that they don't have the responsibilities of a relationship. But still, with, um, you know, with, with things getting tougher for both men and women, I kind of saw, and, and actually maybe it's a, an idea before it's time, maybe not yet, but I, I could see in the future, Um. Things like like weekend trips to Nevada to these stud farms.
3: Well, I think you, what the what needs to happen is you need to have. I mean, there's different reasons why. I, I don't know if it is even something before its time. That I, I don't know if it would ever sort of take off because I think that a on a physical sense, a woman can perform with many more partners in one day than a man can. And I don't yes. think that they will be prescribing Viagra for all the working <laughs> men. So you're limited on that. So each, each working male prostitute would only be able to bring in X number of dollars, where a woman can bring in X times however many. Yes. So there's just not the repeat customers, because you're talking also about bus trips cross-country, but those women aren't going to come back. They're not going to do it Well, I don't day know.
2: It depends on how day. good the guy is. <laughs> well, yeah,
3: I mean, that's the other thing. And are they going to be sexually compatible in that sense? I think yes. men are probably easier to, as you were saying, are, are much simpler sexually than women are.
2: Yes, yes, so, that's true. Because for women to be able to get into it and, and uh, you know, yes, there has to be some wooing or <laughs> some you know, something beforehand in most cases, but...
3: but All these things aren't adding up to a lucrative prostitution industry.
2: Well, on the other hand, it could just be more expensive, you know, for men, male prostitutes than for women, since they can't perform that many times in a day. Well, what about, do you know, were there... You, we, you talked about the one man who got licensed, but were there other... I would have thought that more men would have wanted to get licensed. Was there not a run on this?
3: There wasn 't a run also because the 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 state wasn 't issuing as many licenses they weren 't encouraging this this to happen. Um, you know it was the various newspapers, the various uh, evening interview shows, things like this they were all talking about it. they went out and they interviewed him they there's a couple of newspapers like I said that uh, went out there to do an expose on him. They, tried to, they, they pretended they were a customer and went in and, and spoke to him. Um, so I think the media attention, the salaciousness behind everything, drew all the media attention, but I don't think every woman's first thought in America was, I'm going to go out to rural mm-hmm. Nevada to go sleep with a male prostitute
2: hmm You know, that part might have been part of it, too, though, the fact that there was just this one and that he did get so much media attention, that may well have been something that um, put some women off, like that they didn't want to be seen as going into this brothel.
3: Hmm. Well, they're all very discreet. They would They wouldn't be seen going in.
2: <laughs> well, how do you do that?
3: Well, I mean it's it's again it's rural so you would be driving for uh-huh. 2 hours outside of Vegas. It's not legal legal in Reno, Vegas or Carson City. Mm-hmm. It's only the County mm-hmm. under 400,000 people, so by that very by its very nature, they're usually outside of city centers. they mm-hmm. so They're in the center of Elko, which is an incorporated town, so that has its own set of rules. Mm-hmm. And Winnemucca, but those aren't high traffic metropolitan areas where a woman would have to do that, and they're also all in, in industrial zoned areas.
2: Uh huh. Hmm. Well, so so, how did this? Um, we probably only have a couple of minutes left. How did this experience um, change your life? I mean, it must have changed your view of sex.
3: It does. It it changes a lot of things. Um, I went in there thinking that it was going to be like I said. A very fallacious environment, but it, it turned out to be really normal. I have a massive amount of respect for all the women, like I said, a lot of my friends have i've a lot of them become good friends of mine, and in terms of relationships, you see that relationships can function outside of what society tells us is normal
2: We're we 're obviously being uh, <laughs> it 's the end of the show i 'm sorry that this, this is we could talk about this forever. But um, I think it was brave of you to uh, to bring all of this out, to do this research for five years. And, um, again, let me tell my listeners, the name of the book is called Nevada Rose, Inside the American Brothel. Um, can this be bought where books are sold?
3: It can be bought Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble's, all stores, and go online through Umbridge Editions, which is my publisher.
2: Yes, and that's uh, Umbridge, U-M-B-R-A-G-E, Books.com, UmbridgeBooks.com. Well, thank you very much, Mark, for being a guest on Dr. Carol's Couch. Thank you um, so much. I
3: really enjoyed
2: this. You're very welcome. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
1: Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.